you're listening to the Capitol Press Room and we're turning our attention to the issue of medical debt in the Empire State. Last year, New York policymakers signed off on two key consumer pieces of legislation, including a measure designed to prevent hospitals from placing liens on patients' homes or garnishing their wages over unpaid medical bills, and another bill that increased rules governing what and when medical facility fees could be charged. This year, the state budget included language designed to address debt from health care costs, but consumer advocates are looking for additional action before the end of the legislative session. To consider the ramifications of the state budget on medical debt and discuss unfinished business, we're joined once again by Elizabeth Benjamin, Vice President of Health Initiatives for the Community Service Society of New York, which issued a report in April on reforming the hospital financial assistance law and how it could potentially help many New Yorkers get into medical debt. Welcome back to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's really great to be here again. It's our pleasure. Well, before we look to what you have left to do in the medical debt space uh, here at the Capitol in the remaining days and weeks of the legislative session, I want to start by talking about the recently adopted state budget, which apparently included at least a portion of the language you're looking for in the so-called ounce of Prevention Act. So can you explain the consumer protection language that made it into the final budget? We're really delighted because a provision that would require all the hospitals in the state to use the same hospital financial assistance application form did make it into the budget. And so we really look forward to working with everybody, the hospitals, the State Department of Health, who will develop the form to um, come up with a really good form that makes hospital financial assistance a lot more accessible. What is it then about the form itself that translates to uh, accessibility? Sure. That's a very good question. Um, It's not everything. Let's put it that way. We have a whole ounce of prevention act. What we know is this. Medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in America. Uh, Medical debt, number two, is not like shopping for a leather couch. You don't really know that you're going to need a medical, you know, a medical catastrophe is going to happen to you and you need to go to a hospital. The other thing that we know about medical debt is that In New York, our hospitals have sued over 54,000 patients in the last five years, and they've taken 2,400 liens on people's homes every year. And that has really engendered a lot of suffering because the people that they are suing live in mostly low-income zip codes. And often where there are people of color in disproportionate um, zip codes for people of color. That seems really out of sync with the fact that New York State unusually gives out a billion dollars a year to our nonprofit charitable hospitals, saying that you, in order to get that billion dollars, you're supposed to have a hospital financial assistance policy that complies with these provisions in our now very out-of-date hospital financial assistance law. And the problem is, is that's obviously not working because the hospitals are getting a bunch of money for uncompensated care. And yet all these patients who are low income are not being able to access the hospital financial aid that the hospitals are paid for to, you know, and as a condition of getting that money are supposed to have these hospital financial aid forms. If the hospital financial aid forms were going out and hospital financial assistance would be getting to people, then the hospitals wouldn't have to sue them in the first place. So that's the disconnect that we're trying to fix in the ounce of prevention act and that the form is a good first step because One of the things that we found is, you know, while the hospitals may have the form up on their website, it's sort of like playing Where's Waldo? You know, it's really a treasure hunt trying to find that form. Often when you go to financial assistance, it tells somebody how to apply for Medicaid. People don't think they're eligible for Medicaid 
or, you know, go, go get insurance um, or we'll work with your insurance company. None of it. Often there's nothing that says, here's our hospital financial assistance application. Let us help you apply. And so that would change if we had one statewide form where we as the advocates and the State Department of Health could get the word out that here, all you have to do is fill out this form and file it with your hospital. Well, that issue of awareness of the form at all, is that something that could be a burden for New Yorkers? Should hospitals be actively promoting access to financial aid and therefore highlighting this form? Or is the responsibility on the consumer to go hunt out the financial uh, aid form? Well, right now it's on the consumer. You have to know that, number one, there is such a thing, hospital financial aid, and then you have to hunt it down on a hospital's website. And good luck to you because it's going to be super hard to find. And then even if you do find it, the hospital, like we <laughs> we called one very fancy hospital in New York City on the Upper East Side and said, I'm helping people apply for financial aid. How do we how do we do that? And they're like, there is no financial aid. And we're like, no, you, you have a financial aid. You get $60 million a year <laughs> for financial aid. You know, you have a form. And they're like, you mean charity care? Oh, you have to call this other, other number. And then that other, other number never really answered the phone. And so that is just not working for people. And that's what we want to fix. So when you think about what needs to be done moving forward in the medical debt space, Aside from ensuring that hospitals are aware that they've got a financial aid form that they should be handing out, what else should state policymakers be mandating in the medical debt space? In 2008, when we implemented our hospital financial aid law, I guess it was pretty good then, but it's really bad now. So, for example, right now, if you earn income between 151 and 250 percent of poverty, so that's around you know forty-five dollars to $70,000 a year for a family of four, you can be charged up to 91% of your family's gross income, which means you have no money left after taxes. That's no discount at all, I would submit. That is, it's like a completely obsolete financial assistance scale, if you will. It's on a sliding fee scale, but prices have so increased, medical inflation is so outrageous, the, and what hospitals are now charging people and to the highest volume commercial payer that the discount schedule is meaningless. I mean, no one should have to pay 91% of their family income to get a discount at, you know, at 151% of poverty, right? That just no one thinks that's a good fee schedule. So that really has to be changed. And the other thing is, is that um, the current law says you only that you have to apply for financial aid within 90 days. Well, I don't know if you've gone to a medical provider recently, Dave, but I submit that the time the hospital takes to bill your insurance company and for the insurance company to say, oh, no, you didn't process the claim right. And then the hospital resubmits the claim and recodes it and then it goes back to the insurance. That can be you know, 100 days. That can be 200 days. That can be a year. And so, you know, that is not a reasonable time limit. Um, someone should be able to apply for financial aid, you know, even in, when they're sued because they didn't know that their insurance company didn't pay the bill. Um, and then we have like other obsolete things like, oh, there's an asset test only on the super poor and not like right, anybody else. Like, why would you have an asset test on super poor people? So um, we're working really hard to try to get these hospital financial assistance policy, you know, in the modern era. Um, and, you know, that is the Ounce of Prevention Act, which is actually on the third reading in the Senate and has is sitting in the Assembly Health Committee. I don't know why they haven't brought it to a vote yet. Um, we hope that 
Chair Paulin will bring it, you know, shortly up to a vote and we can get it. It did pass the health committee last year and then went to, I don't know, either ways and means or rules to die there in the assembly. Well, I think it did pass, the, the, you know, so that's kind of frustrating. The second bill that we're working on is um, the banning of credit reporting for medical debt. You know, as I mentioned at the top, medical debt's not like shopping for a leather couch or anything else. And so, you know, credit reports are used to uh, review people for jobs, for loans, for uh, renting apartments, for all sorts of things. And what we know from all the research that the federal regulators have done is that because of insurance snafu and incorrect hospital billing errors and claims processing problems, that what's being reported on medical debt is junk. It is not meaningless. And in fact, they found that you're more likely to be a better credit risk if you do have medical debt than if you don't. So what's if, if the whole point is it, it doesn't even it's not even predictive of someone's credit risk. It, so let me just repeat that. You're more likely to be a better credit risk if you have medical debt than if you do not. OK, so why would we report medical debt at all if that's true? Because it obviously doesn't predict whether someone's a good credit risk. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, the, you know, you might say, oh, well, providers, it benefits providers somehow to have their patients uh, credit ruined. Well, it really doesn't. It just means that patients are less likely to return for care and that people become more impoverished. Um, and so they get have worse outcomes. And so no one benefits by the reporting or furnishing, as the industry calls it, of medical um, debt to the big credit agencies. And in fact, the only people that benefit are those big credit agencies um, reporting consumer debt agencies, because then they look, they they can claim to their, I guess, um, clients that they're somehow, you know, up in the know on something, but they're in the know on ir, um, incorrect data. And so we shouldn't be reporting it at all. And that bill is, um, you know, now is uh, in the Senate, it's S4907, and it was passed the Health Committee and has been referred to Consumer Protection. We're hoping Senator Thomas will vote it out quickly so that the Senate um, can pass it. And then um, it's just sitting in Consumer Protection in the Assembly. It might be kind of an unwitting casualty to the fact that a credit reporting of rent arrears bill died on the floor of the Assembly. So um, we're not really sure what the future in the assembly will be, but we're, we live in hope. <laughs> hope springs eternal on this medical debt stuff. Well, thinking about this effort to mitigate medical debt and what New Yorkers might have to pay, is there an amount that you think makes sense for New Yorkers to pay for their health care costs? I guess what is the difference between crushing medical debt and what is a reasonable cost for consumers to have to take on? That's exactly what the ounce of prevention does. It basically says, look, if you're below 200% of poverty, where we offer free health insurance to everybody below 200% of poverty, you should only have to pay a nominal amount. I don't think there's going to be a huge fight from the hospital association on that. Then we say between 200 and 400% of poverty and people in New York state get sliding fee scale insurance. We have the Child Health Plus program. We have Obamacare that's on a sliding fee scale up to 400% of poverty. Um, we say you should not be able to be charged more than eight or 4% of your income, that that's a reasonable payment plan. And then we say people who are a little better off 
of which there are very few people in medical debt that are in this category, but people between 400 and 600% of poverty, which Obamacare now goes up to 600% of poverty. That's not us, that's the federal government. Um, we say those folks should have to pay the Medicare rate, which would typically be around 19% or 13% of their income. That's a big amount. Um, that's a lot of money to charge people. Um, now the hospitals would say, well, those people make a lot of money. They make you know, one hundred and twenty to $180,000 a year. But after taxes, and if you have, a bunch, you know, four people in your household and you have to pay your rent and, and the mortgage and, you know, school fees and all that stuff, you know, being charged $23,000 a year is a lot of money if you're making $180,000 a year, right? So we think um, that is a reason that people shouldn't have to pay at these sort of more middle income, more than 20% of their annual income. And then people who are working class really shouldn't be asked to be paid paying more than 8% of their income. And then low-income people just shouldn't only be charged nominal amount. Well, finally, back in April, uh, the Community Service Society released an updated report to uh, announce a prevention. And I was curious if that report revealed anything new to you about the way that uh, healthcare facilities like hospitals are approaching medical debt, or does it seem like uh, things are the status quo in New York and are reflective of the concerns you've had for, for years now? I think what's really been very demoralizing for us is, look, we love our hospitals here in New York. We resource our hospitals here in New York. Hospitals are where I had my, you know, twins. I mean, you know, these are good guys. These are, and, and gals and people, you know, they're in it to help save lives every single day. They're all charities in New York State by law. And I think what has become really demoralizing when we look at our report is that we don't understand why they're fighting the idea that someone shouldn't have to pay 91% of their gross income, you know, on medical debt, like in one year, like that's just not reasonable. Why they think someone should ever have to spend more than 20% of their gross family income on a medical bill. That just seems wrong. That doesn't seem charitable. And that's what we saw in our report is that just we were just really surprised that how much resistance there is when we see the hospital's memos in opposition. It's just we don't get it. And I guess the other thing I would say that we found in the report was that when the State Department of Health audited the hospital's forms and policies, what we found over and over again at what we not we KPMG, the big auditing firm found over and over again is that the hospitals were unable and incapable of a complying with the existing pretty crappy law from 2007. And so it's just why we, you know, we have to keep fighting for this because it's the right thing to do. And we have, and medical debt is just crushing New Yorkers. And um, I really believe that, you know, our charitable hospitals will one day, and our certainly our elected officials will one day really wake up and smell the coffee about what real people are experiencing every day in terms of medical debt and try to make some changes. But we have to stop medical debt being reported to credit bureaus. Um, and we have to make our hospital financial assistance law better. Well, we've been speaking with Elizabeth Benjamin. She's the vice president of health initiatives for the Community Service Society of New York. Elizabeth, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. 
Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.